Open up your Bible with me, would you? Um, Go to the Gospel of Luke, and I'd like you to go to chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. If you're joining us this morning, maybe for the first time, um, you should know that we're going through a study of the Old Testament right now. And if you are awake, you're probably thinking, then why would you tell us to go to the Gospel of Luke? That's not the Old Testament. That's right. I want to go to Luke chapter 22 because I want us to see something that Jesus says here in preparation for our message today. We are going through a series on the Old Testament. We call it Dust to Glory. We start out as dust. God took dust to the ground and made a human, breathed life into that dust. And now those who are in Christ look forward one day to being in glory with him forever. So that's our That's our trek, you guys. That's our journey from dust to glory. And the Old Testament is nothing less than the autobiography of God, where God gives the story of his work. Some call it the meta-narrative, the big story of what God is doing. And that story that God is doing is somewhat confusing for some at times. Now, I don't mean the confusing details of your life. I can't answer all those questions for you. You've got to seek the Lord on that. But even studying the Bible can be a journey for some of us that's difficult. So in Luke chapter 22, at verse number 15, Jesus is now in the upper room. He is going to go to the cross in a matter of hours. He's going to die on a cross. He's been betrayed by a friend. And he'll be turned over to the authorities very, very soon. And on this night, he celebrates what we call the Passover. It's a remembrance of the time when God passed over those who put their trust in him and did not kill the firstborn. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. And Jews celebrated this over and over and over. And now on this night, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and they're celebrating the Passover. And he says this, I have earnestly, he said this to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew that he was going to his death. He knew that he was going to lay down his life for the sins of man. That he was going to die for sinners. Jump down to verse number 19. It expl- Jesus here, well, the gospel writer Luke explains to us what Jesus said. It says that Jesus took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Him speaking of the fact that he was laying down his life for all of man. For all of man. And then likewise, he took the cup. There's a glass of wine there. Jesus takes it. Holds it up. He says, likewise, do this. This cup that is poured out for you, he said, is the new covenant in my blood. And then they all partake together. Now that might seem a little strange to you. 
you should be asking, what does that mean? This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That's an important point that I want us to focus on today. And that is the idea of a covenant. Of a covenant. Now most of us never use the word covenant. But the only time you use the word covenant is when you buy a new house and you find out the HOA has a covenant, right? And so you got to sign that thing that says, you know, that you'll, if you build a fence, it'll look like this. If you buy a shed, it'll look like this. And you'll pay a certain amount of money to help remove the snow and all that. You have a covenant. Well, what does that mean? Is it, is it just the rules for living in the development? Was Jesus saying we're going to add, you know, a, a housing development back here and this is the rules we're going to live by? No, 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 no. Your HOA didn't come up with the word covenant. God did. God did. Today I want to look at a special covenant. I want us to take a look at a special covenant that God makes with his people. A covenant is, it is, a, it is a faithful agreement. It is a bond. It is a promise that cannot be broken. It is made by a covenant-keeping God. It is an agreement that God makes with his people. Open up your Bible to Psalm chapter 132, and I want us to see here a covenant that God makes with people. And I want us to understand the significance for us as we move into celebrating communion in a few moments, where we will celebrate a covenant that God has made with his people. Psalm 132 is one of the songs of ascent. From 120 to 134, you've got these 15 psalms that were nothing less than the, the words of a song that would be sung. And the Jewish people, when they would travel to Jerusalem, would sing these psalms on the way. If any of you ever served in the military, this is kind of like a, one of those, remember those cadences that you would call out? A little bird with a yellow bill. No, we won't go through that one, but we would sing these songs as we marched. That's what these songs of ascent are. But they aren't just to distract me from the pain of marching. They're singing out praises to God. And this particular one is going to talk about a very important promise that God made to humankind. Read with me at verse number 11, and let's see what it says here. The Lord swore to David. Folks, that's a covenant. This is a covenant. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. When God makes a promise, he does not turn back from it. God's word is true. When he says it, it's true. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. I want to stop here and help you understand what's happening. The Jewish people are on a journey. Three times they're told in Deuteronomy 16, all Jewish men must come to Jerusalem three times a year. This was the, the religious activity of the Jews. 
and they would travel to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And on their way there, they're, they're celebrating God's work, what he promised he would do and what he had already done. And so the first thing you see here is that God is going to put a man on the throne in Jerusalem. It says verse, in verse number 13, For the Lord has chosen Zion. That's another word for Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Now this is God speaking. And that is very important. Your Bible may have quotes. This is now God speaking. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I prepared a lamp for my Messiah, is the Hebrew word. It may say in your Bible, anointed or anointed one, but it is the Hebrew word, Messiah. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. I want us to see briefly today what God is promising to all the covenant people of God. To all the people who have entered into covenant with God. Now there are several covenants that God makes with people. And I don't have time today to go through them all. But we're looking at one right now. We're looking at one. And it's called the Davidic covenant. And here's what it is. Listen to God's promise. Hear the Davidic promise. The promise that God made to David. I gave you a whole host of Bible verses because I knew I wouldn't have enough time. And you can look these up and see the promise that God made that we call the Davidic covenant or the Davidic promise. And here's what it is. God says, I will place a human king forever to reign on earth. You hear that? God is going to take a human and he is going to reign, rule on earth forever. Now, wait a minute. How's a human going to reign on earth forever? And where is he going to reign? And who's he going to reign over? And what does that reign even mean? Jesus, when he was with his disciples, oh, he looked forward to this promise being fulfilled. He looked forward to the covenants being fulfilled. For God to come through and finish on his promise. God has said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But you know what? He hasn't yet. He hasn't. We are still waiting for this day. How many of you are going on vacation sometime this summer? Anybody? Oh, a few of us. I remember when I was in sixth grade. Um, so, uh, you know, six, nothing against the sixth graders, sorry. But you're kind of punky at sixth grade, right? I mean, you just are. You know, you're very self-focused. Sorry, sixth graders. But look in the mirror, okay? It's just the truth. You kind of go through this stage and, and you're really focused on yourself, okay? 
but I love you. I love you, okay? Sixth grade, we're supposed to go on vacation. I am so excited. We're going down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina, going to spend a week in this beach house. It's going to be great. Awesome. Looking forward to it for months. I came home from, I think, school or a club. I don't know. I came home from somewhere. I come in the house, and there's my aunt in the living room. I'm thinking, what are you doing here all by herself? What's going on? I won't drag this out too much, but she shared with me that that afternoon, my mother had had a horrible accident. Walking down the streets of Kaiser, I won't go into it, but horrible accident. Spent weeks in the hospital, changed the rest of her life in many ways. And you know, all I could think of was what? So my aunt tells me all this story and she's in tears and she, it's going to be okay, Mickey. It's going to be all right. We're going to do this. She's going to be okay. She'll be in the hospital. She's going to be okay. And my question immediately after she's done, well, are we still going on vacation? And here's why I tell you that story. Listen, there are promises that God has for you. If you're in Christ, there is a bright future for you. There is a kingdom in the future. There is an eternity that makes this life and the temporary suffering that it is go by like that and mean nothing. But we get so focused on the now. We get so focused on my job and my house and my car and my kids and my sickness that we forget about what God has for us in eternity. Jesus is going to the cross and he thinks of the promise. Let me show you the promise here in Psalm 132. Let me show it to you, and I want you to be excited about it. I want you to see what what God has told us he's going to do. First of all, know that the Lord keeps his promises. The Lord keeps his promises. My mother wanted us to go on vacation, but human beings on their own cannot keep promises. But God keeps his promises. And the Lord's kingdom is coming. And that's what this Davidic covenant is telling us. Notice what it says in verse number 14. Look at the quote of what God says. He says, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I want you to know that what David called a house in 2 Samuel chapter number 11 and chapter 7, what David called this house was really the permanent experience that God is promising us of righteousness. There is coming a time where right will be right and wrong will be wrong because God will be ruling. And it says here that he's going to rule in that place, verse number 14, forever. Here God says, I will dwell. Here God says, I have desired to be there. Do you know how you hurt from the suffering, the momentary suffering that you go through? You know, when things don't go right, when kids break your heart, when marriage breaks your heart, when there's illness and injury and sickness, and you and I wring our hands, say, how can this be? When you watch the news and you see the the wicked things that we do to one another, when you look in the mirror and you know that you are fully capable of those wicked things yourself. 
Don't lie to yourself. Yes, you are. And you say, God, what's going on? The Lord is desiring to be here on earth ruling where there will be righteousness because the Lord Jesus will be on the throne in this house, having this dynasty, this permanent experience of righteousness. We can call it heaven. You can call it eternity. You can call it paradise. All those terms are all synonyms. They're describing our existence, our future with God. Back to the passage. In verse number 16, this is very important. It says, her priest, this is God speaking, about this kingdom that he will be ruling over. It's not here yet, but it's coming. It will be in Jerusalem. Yeah, that place, it's in the news all the time. Yep, that place in the Middle East where it seems like everything is happening, where it seems like there's always turmoil. Gee, I wonder why. Because God has said that will be the center, the epicenter of my kingdom, Jerusalem, in the future. You might say when. I'll tell you when. I don't know, okay? I don't know. But in the future, in the future, But verse number 16 explains who it is that's going to be there in this kingdom. Her priest, I will clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout for joy. Someday in the future, this is a promise God made, there will be a kingdom. And it will be centered in Jerusalem. And God will be there forever. But he will not be alone. Around him will be human beings. And other creatures as well. Angelic beings, yes. But we're going to talk about the human beings. And it says that they will be priests and saints. Now I wonder, do you view yourself... As a priest? Do you view yourself as a saint? Now, when the psalmist wrote this, he had one idea about what a priest was. And he was right at that time. A priest was somebody who stood between a sinful man and a holy God. He was between, a a conduit between so that God's righteousness didn't zap the human being dead. That was the role of a priest. It was such a dangerous role that God instructed the priest, when you once a year come into the presence of God, tie a rope around your waist in case I zap you dead, they can drag you out and you don't rot up the holy of holies. That's the the dynamic that we're dealing with here. But the beautiful thing in the progress of Revelation is that after this time and in the time that we're in now, the Bible says that you, if you're in Christ, are a priest. That you are royal 
priesthood. That there is only one mediator between man and God. The man, Christ Jesus. That because of what Jesus has done, you and I now can approach God boldly. So this means that if you're in Christ today, on that moment, in the future, in Jerusalem, where there's a king, and his name is God, and he's ruling forever, and there are priests, you could be there. But that's not the only word that's used to describe it. It also says that her saints will shout for joy. Would you ever describe yourself as a saint some of you have been around here for long. No, that's almost a trick question I, I ask on many occasions. And so, so you're ready to say, yes, I'm a saint. Because you know that saint means holy one, one that's been made holy, one that's been set apart for God. And you know from Ephesians chapter 1 that anybody who's in Christ has been made a saint. And so you might think, this is me. And in many respects, that's true. But we're in the Old Testament now. And you're thinking of the Greek word that we translate saint. Can I take you into the Hebrew lexicon and talk to you about this word? Because it'll blow your mind. Now, some of you are like, where is he going? Stay with me, okay? This is different. This is different than the New Testament concept of a saint. It's different. Saint in the New Testament means one who's been set apart, declared holy. Here, that's not what that word means. This word actually comes from another Hebrew word, okay? It's the word hesed. It's the word hesed. There it is. You read Hebrew right to left, okay? The word hesed. And in reality, what this word is, saint actually means is one who has been given hesed. It's the one who has received hesed. Now, you don't know what hesed means, but I will help you, okay? Hesed is a word that is throughout your Old Testament. 248 times this word is in your Old Testament. It's translated a, 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 a just many different ways. It's translated love. It's translated kindness. It's translated loving kindness. It's translated loyalty, steadfast love, unfailing love, mercy, devotion. Little, little tip on interpreting the Bible. When a verse in different translations is given a whole bunch of different English meanings, that's a clue. You should see a red flag. You know what that means? This word is packed full of meaning. This is the Hesed love of God. And you, you know it well. You know this word well. As a matter of fact, it's already been read in this service today. Steve read it. He said, the steadfast love, Lamentations chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new. They, they never come to an end. That's hesed love. Psalm chapter 23, verse number 6. You know Psalm 23, the funeral psalm? I hate that term because I love Psalm 23. 
Listen to what it says. Surely and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word mercy is the Hesed love of God. There's, it's all through our Bible. Psalm chapter 51. David writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your Hesed love. Micah chapter 6, verse number 8. O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? That you do justice, that you love Hesed love. The Hesed love of God is this. It's when God looks at his child. His brand new reborn child. And he says this. I am committed to you no matter what. I will be loyal to you no matter what. My love will never end for you. It is a steadfast love. It is a strong love. It is a loyal love. It is a devoted love. It is a love that rests in mercy. It's a love that rests in kindness. It's a love that rests in grace. It is my love. God Yahweh, the Lord, the I am God, says to humans. There in Jerusalem, on that promised day, someday in the future, the Lord Jesus will stand. He'll be on his throne. The descendant of David... A Jewish man whose great, 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 great grandfather is David. And all around him will be people who have the right to be their priests and who are the recipients of his Hesed love. And he will stand before us and we will bow down and worship. Because only he is worthy. And the only reason we're accepted, the only reason we can be there, is because the Hesed love of God went to a cross. Went to a cross. When Jesus saw our wickedness, when he saw our sinfulness, when he was aware of our dirty, rotten heart and our wicked past, filled with sin. And listen, I know some of you might look like you're a nice person, but you're not, and you know it. You know it. And the Lord Jesus sees you. And he says, I offer to you my Hesed love, my loyal love, my steadfast love. It's like human beings to say, but God, you don't know how bad I am. You don't know what I've done. God says, my Hesed love is aware of it all. It's like a human to say, but Lord, I'm going to mess up again. You don't know me. I always run back to it. God says, my Hesed love is steadfast. It's loyal. And you again will cry out and say, but I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And the Hesed love says, I am devoted to my children. 
See, the steadfast love of God is new every morning. This is why Jesus said, I'm looking forward. It's it's why he said, I'm looking forward to this Passover. I'm looking forward to going to the cross. Because when I do, the covenant promises will be fulfilled. They'll be completed. Oh, their future. We're still waiting on them. But they're coming. Verse 17. Just to finish out, because I know some of you like to fill in your blanks. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. Now that's not a car horn. It's not a bike horn, okay? Think ram horn, ox horn. In this culture, in this desert world, you can... It's like an antler, okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a symbol of strength. It's a tusk. I'll make a horn, a powerful tusk to sprout for David. From David, this, this horn. I prepared a lamp so this shine upon the Messiah. And his enemies I will clothe with shame. But on him... His crown will shine. So I don't know if you, maybe you might have shame today. You really might. You might have a background that looks good or bad. But if you're outside of Christ today, you're living in shame. And I want you to tell you that is not what God's Hesed love brings. Only the enemies of God are clothed with shame. Maybe what you need to do today is recognize your enemy stance. Oh, you might be playing a part. You might look the role. But in your heart, you're an enemy of God. Hear my words. See the heart of God. The Hesed love of God is calling to you. He's saying, come, come, come to the Messiah and be saved. Let's go to the Lord, first in prayer and then in praise. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your grace, for your Hesed love, Lord, that doesn't stop. That doesn't quit. That recklessly runs after. And invites us to the Messiah. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you were willing to become sin, Lord, for us. So that we could know you, Lord. So that we could love you so that we could be with you for all of eternity, forgiven by grace, Lord, through our faith in the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.